He thought that God would come in and make sense. And I think we live in a world where a lot of people live like that. They stay busy, they stay distracted by the events until something major comes into their life, something catastrophic, something life-threatening happens, and then the God questions come up. If you didn't know it, this week we're starting a new Sunday School series called The God Questions, and it's going to be looking at topics like, is God real? Is the Bible true? Do all roads lead to heaven? How can a good God allow suffering? Which is right, evolution or creation? What happens when I die? And I hope you all will join us for Sunday School the next six weeks because uh, we're going to run into people in our lives that are going to be asking the question, just like Tommy Lee Jones. The God question is the one that I believe even the most hardcore agnostic or atheist will face when they have that life-threatening or near-death experience. And and that's what I kind of want to talk about today is how do we keep the next generation close to the Lord where they don't reach that point at the end of their life where they say, I thought God would come to me at this point in my life. What we see from the Scripture Tim read today is Israel dealing with uh, the book of Judges and what's happened. Moses has died. Joshua has died. And the generation of Joshua has died. And they're living in the promised land and they have forgot God. And also worshiping pagans. Listen to Judges here. And said the people of the Lord served all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So there's that generation. Who had seen all the great works that the Lord had done for Israel. So they had seen the many things. And they had seen the miracles that had been performed to bring Israel out of Egypt. The walls of Jericho, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in the Timus and Hares, in the hills and the country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their father. So here is Noah and Joshua, and their whole generation had disappeared. And that's when these words come. Then arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. So the question is, how could they forget? How could people a few years earlier just a a few short years from Egypt and enslavement and seeing the miracles they had seen and how God had delivered them into the promised land. They were living in houses they didn't even build, eating fruit and vegetables from gardens and orchards they didn't even plant. And then this generation that neither knew the Lord or any of His works, how could they forget? How was it possible Their moms and dads and their grandparents and their grandparents had lived the most miraculous times of all human history. And then the next generation forgot. They had even begun to worship other idols. And look what they had forgot. 
The ten plagues that had got them out of slavery, culminating with the, the firstborn of Egypt being killed and the Passover being celebrated. And as they went out the, went out the gates of Egypt, they were given whatever item they could take, gold, silver, any possessions the Egyptians had. They just wanted to get rid of them. How could they forget? And what about the Red Sea where Pharaoh's army was chasing after them? And they were trapped and the sea opened and they crossed and then it drowned Pharaoh's army, one of the most powerful armies in the world. And what about being guided by pillars of fire at night and being fed manna and water from rocks? And what about the miracle of crossing the Jordan with Joshua to where it was opened and the stones were left as a reminder? And what about Jericho, the most fortified city in the world that had natural springs and could survive a siege forever? And uh, walls came tumbling down when they walked around it. How could they forget those things? But just like us, Last week, we witnessed the greatest miracle in human history when Jesus took the sin of humanity, died on that cross, and three days later, the stone was rolled away and He was resurrected. So the better question is, how could we forget? Not how they could forget in the book of Judges. So how do we forget that we were in slavery? That through God's mighty work and the miracle, He delivered us from the guilt of sin and eternal separation from God. That Jesus Christ delivered us from slavery and put us in the promised land, yet we forget. And what happens when you forget? I'd like you to remember these things. If we forget, we will see a lot of defeats. The judges... They forgot. A whole nether nation did not know the Lord or His works. And if you look at the book of Judges, and if you look at a lot of the Old Testament, it is full of defeats. There are a few high water highlight flashes like David and, and, and Ruth and some of those, but overall it is basically slavery and defeat in their lives. And see, defeats are always tied to our not being able to remember what God has done. Secondly, we have slavery when we forget. If you get beat down enough, you end up in slavery. So many of the books of the Bible are written from the point of slavery and exile. Daniel and the lion's den, all the prophets nearly were, were written from a a slave perspective, either Babylon or Persia or Egypt. And even in Jesus' day, the Jews were in a form of slavery to Rome. They were defeated. And that leads to the third thing when we don't remember, spiritual death. Defeat and slavery and death are the byproducts of forgetting what God has done. Not remembering the Lord's great works and, and not just from the Bible, but also from our personal lives, the miracles, the things that God has brought you through, the things that have happened in this, in this church itself. If you look at this generation in America and you read the newspaper or look on TV and, and, or you work with youth and young people, there is a, a, 
a kind of a descriptor of them. And when you talk about culture and the next generation, they are almost a, a, a defeated and enslaved and spiritually dead group of people. This is a generation of kids, junior high, senior high, college, and young people that live under a heavy burden. They are defeated by real things. Addictions, good addictions, Facebook and computer games, bad addictions, alcohol, drugs, and pornography, religiousosity. Politically, culturally, they are defeated. Socially, economically, many of them feel defeated. That's the best descriptor of them is defeated. A generation that, that can't have an opportunity to make an impact because they've been defeated and they're in slavery and they're spiritually dead. And this is our world, but, but it, doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be that way. So what are the results when you remember? Well, the first one, the results of remembering is victory. You know, a young person can be covered up in slavery and death. And when they get a glimpse of the good news of Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden, they start walking in victory. And they may get that, that vision of victory in children's church or Sunday school or up here singing a song in front of the congregation or in refuel on Wednesday night or at vacation Bible school or at church camp. This is where kids learn how to start walking in victory as they hear Jesus presented on their level, hearing how God is for them and hearing how God loves them and how He can, can take the sins out through His grace. See, it's a victorious thing that happens at church. And that victory is directly connected to remembering what God has done. Another result of remembering besides victory is freedom. I don't know if you have ever dealt with an addiction in your life and if you were honest enough to say that you have. If an addiction has had you, it, it doesn't feel like you can get out of the cycle that it has you in. And maybe you've been addicted to alcohol or maybe it's a broken mindset or greed insecurity, anxiety, or depression has you. But when you get freed, there's nothing like it. There's something about walking in real freedom and not having to carry the burdens, the weight, the regret, and the shame. There is nothing like going to bed at night and knowing that you have peace from your sins. And you don't have to be enslaved anymore when you remember Another result of remembering is real life occurs. Real life occurs. People catch real life because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Realizing what He's done for them. And they begin to walk in it. And then they have victory. They have freedom. And they have, they have life. Let me ask you a question. How do you view life? If you were to describe it, I hope if you think about how the Apostle Paul described life, he described it as a race in 2 Timothy, almost like a track meet. And many times we as Christians 
and as a church view the Christian life as a sprint. We were talking about that as a staff, how, how we go from one fast-moving event to another. We go from Christmas to Easter, getting the cantata ready, getting the egg hunt, getting all the breakfasts arranged and everything else. And then we move towards the next event in, after Easter and we're looking towards vacation Bible school and we're getting sign-ups and we're trying to get everything arranged. And after that, we sprint towards camp and, and then it's back to school. And so Christians oftentimes view life as a sprint, but it didn't. And some Christians view life as a marathon where they're prepared to be in it for the long haul where you're pacing yourselves for years of being faithful. And, and there's nothing wrong with that view. But if you look at Paul in 2 Timothy, he says, I have run the race. And when Paul said that and said, I have finished the race, did you know he was talking to Timothy, a young pastor? And what happened was Paul is basically passing the baton to Timothy. And I think that's more of the type of race we're running in the church. You know, it could be a, 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 a sprint relay, a hundred yards, where we're just running a hundred and then passing the baton. Or it could be a long distance relay where we're running hundreds of yards. But what we are doing here is we are passing on the baton to the next generation of our faith. So that if we could rewrite Judges chapter 2, it would say, and all the generations were also gathered to the Father. And there arose a generation after them who knew the Lord and all the work He had done for them because they had remembered. That's the aim. That's the goal. It's not just a sprint. It's not just a marathon. It's a relay. And God is using us to prepare the future generation. See, this church has been here for over 190 years. And think about how many previous generations have passed on the baton to the next generation for this church to survive. And not just survive, but to flourish and thrive. So what are you doing to pass on that baton to the next generation? If you get your newsletter, you'll notice that we're going to be voting on building a children's wing to the north here in a few weeks. Why? To provide a safe and loving educational environment for the 200 plus kids that are enrolled in our elementary and preschool program on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. So they won't grow up living enslaved. And that is why we need to share with the next generation what the Lord has done for us to develop that spiritual life in them because parents, you're going to stand accountable before God for those that are under your roof. Your kids need to hear from you the story of how mom or dad used to not be friends with God and how you used to be enslaved to sin and selfishness and maybe addictions and there was a time you weren't friends with God and how God loved you anyway. And yet while you were sinners, Jesus died for you, sharing how Jesus Christ just came into your life. And your children need to hear how Christ has changed your life and how He is leading your life now. To tell your kids, and for me, my grandkids, 
Just like teachers and helpers in the, in the church need to share with their students or those kids there around their story of how Jesus changed their life. So that we don't drop the baton to make sure your kids know that you know the Lord and how He saved you from slavery. How He took you from greedy to generous. From anxious and depressed and shamed and regret-filled to with freedom and victory. See, we have a great responsibility to make sure that they get the baton. Now, I would like everyone over 18, if you will stand. If you're over 18, stand. Over 18. Okay? What I want you to do is to say with me this little quote up on the board. One before it. Read with me responsively. The next generation, they will know the Lord. Say it again. The next generation, they will know the Lord. And let's have the next one, Steve. Not on our watch will there be a generation that doesn't know the Lord. Say it again with me. Not on our watch will there be a generation that doesn't know the Lord. Be seated. There is a generation that's on its feet that made a commitment. Now you've got something you need to do. Share your story with your kids for grandparents or whoever's young people you touch so that they don't forget, so they won't be defeated or enslaved or have spiritual death. And well, they will be people because they remember they will have victory and freedom and real life happening. What does it look like in the church? It's us sharing our story. It's us in the race, passing the baton. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for those gathered here this morning, and we just pray that we will be a family of God that understands that we can't forget where we come from. And we pass on to the next generation so they don't forget who's the God and the Lord of their, their families, of their parents, and their grandparents' life. And we just give You the praise and thanks. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.